0: Coming up on this week's show, Alexander C. Everhart talks to us about his debut novel, There Goes Sunday School. This is the Big Gay Fiction
1: Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 152 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willcanals.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by a remarkable group of supporters on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them in just a few moments. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Um, This particular episode is going out on that lovely summer ending. US holiday we hope you are all spending time with friends and family and enjoying yourselves maybe reading a book or two.
0: Yeah I mean on an extra day off if you're getting it you could maybe <laughs> read one or two depending on <laughs> how much how much how fast you could do them. Uh, I for one am very happy August is over. August was not great it kind of sucked and I'm glad to move on to fall mm-hmm. onwards and upwards. And in fact, fall for me, September, starts with a cover reveal. Uh, This this very Monday, the cover for Audio Assault, which is the third book in the Codename Winger series, will get revealed at gayya.org. Uh, I'll put the link for that reveal in the show notes. It'll get in there a little later on Monday morning. So if you are one of our early listeners, perhaps in Europe or something, you can check back to, to get that link. Uh, the book is also up for pre-order at Harmony Inc. Press and Dream Spinner Press. And uh, it will come out November 27th, right after Thanksgiving, and just in time for your holiday gift-giving, should you choose to do so.
1: <laughs>
0: Can't wait. I know. It's going to be exciting. Teenage secret agent
2: Theo Reese is back in action in Schooled, the second book in the Codename Winger series. Theo's high school computer science club is gearing up for a competition, and he agrees to lend his knowledge of cybersecurity to help them win. The covert agency he secretly works for also needs his talents when an encrypted key that allows access to the nation's electrical grid has been stolen. The file shows up at the competition as one of those to be decoded. Theo must find a way to be both an average high school student and TOS agent winger. The file must be secured, all while protecting his teammates from those who will use any means necessary to get the file for themselves. Schooled is available in ebook and paperback wherever books are sold. And if you missed Theo's
0: first mission, pick up Tracker Hacker today. So we've got some TV and some books to talk about this week, and we'll kick it off with a little So You Think You Could Dance. Uh, This past week, they were into the top six as they speed on towards their season finale. Uh, A dance of note this week uh, came from Travis Wall, who over the history of the show has not only proven himself a great dancer back during his appearance in one of the very early seasons, but he's become quite the choreographer as well. Uh, this week, he paired up Darius, who's a contestant from this season, along with Taylor, who was back as an all-star from season 14. Uh, this particular dance was about finding your identity and dealing with the bullies that can try to take that away from you. Uh, Taylor portrayed society in this case, bullying Darius, who was looking for his identity. Uh, I, this dance, this 90 seconds, was kind of everything. Darius starts out in a beautiful white dress. And as the bully beats him down, he ends up dressed as the bully, so conforming to society. And the transformation going from the dress into the T-shirt and jeans was stunningly done. Uh, but at the end, he does still find his identity and really battles back against the bullies. It's it's beautiful. It's exquisite. It reminded me a lot of some Alvin Ailey work that I've seen over the years, and of course. It all has Travis's flair for storytelling. I think this could easily be his his next uh, Emmy come 2019 uh, when they give out the choreography Emmys. So I'll put a link to this in the show notes so you could check it out and and just enjoy this 90 seconds of beautiful, powerful uh, dance from So You Think You Could Dance. Speaking of the...
1: Um, I was going to try and be clever. That didn't work. Anyway, (laughs) let's move on. Speaking of dance, how about that? More dance. (laughs) Uh, Most recently, we watched a documentary uh, called Rebels on Point. It is, uh, as I said, a documentary. It is essentially about the history of ballet trocadero. For those of you who don't know... uh, The Trox, as they are known, is essentially a group of dancers. They perform uh, classical pieces of ballet, Uh, but the company is made up entirely of men, and all of the roles are danced by men, uh, essentially in drag. So, uh, the company has a history of sort of um, skewering and reimagining classical ballet pieces Um, A lot of their repertoire uh, has comedic takes.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, As the Brits might say, they they take the piss out of some (laughs) of the fancy schmanciness uh, that uh, ballet has engendered uh, over the, well, forever. Forever, yeah. (laughs) Really. Uh, So Rebels on Point is essentially about their history and about some of the dancers who are in the current company. And sort of their lives and their hopes and their dreams and what it's like being uh, a part of a ballet company that travels all over the world. Um, it was really wonderful, really fascinating, funny, and it's heartwarming. Um, uh, all th- all of the members of the company come from uh, all over the world, various mm. walks of life. Uh, and uh, several of them tell their stories on- in the documentary. Um I thought it was really wonderful. Um, We've never had the pleasure of seeing the trucks. Uh, We'd love to someday. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, It's a terrific documentary. Uh, Cute boys, ballet. uh, There's even a super sweet wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, I highly recommend everyone checking this
0: out. Yeah, I I adored this. I'd never heard of them before, this documentary, which is ridiculous. since They're based in New York. We lived in New York for years and never crossed paths with them. I love that they take the ballet, the art form very seriously and the technique behind it. And then they just tweak Swan Lake and they tweak uh, Don Quixote. Um, Really fascinating. I'd love to see a full-length piece from them because you just get little snips in the documentary. Impressive, too, that they've been around for 40 years. I mean, that's incredible and that they have... All of these fans. I was shocked to learn that, like China, is one of the places oh, yeah. where they can be swarmed by fans if they're identified on the street in any capacity. Uh, yeah, I, I, I adored it and was so glad that you discovered it. It is uh, currently on Stars, uh, possibly streaming there as well. Uh, we'll put whatever links we can in the show notes so you can check that out as well. Uh, something else we watched this past week was a movie called Saturday
1: Church. And this is um, essentially a coming-out, coming-of-age story. It's about a young guy named Ulysses. And uh, he lives in essentially a really repressive religious household. And he escapes to uh, the piers in Manhattan. As uh, many generations before him have done. (laughs) Uh, And it's there he meets a brand new group of friends who encourage him to explore who he really is. And help him um, essentially come out into his true self. Two of those friends just happen to be MJ Rodriguez and India Moore of Pose. It's been at least a week since we talked about Pose, so (laughs) you didn't think I was not going to work that in there. Everyone, go watch Pose anyway. So, (laughs) if you didn't, I was going to. Um, So the title of the movie Sunday Church actually refers to a weekly uh, program held at a church for at-risk youth. It's a chance for. Uh, kids to get a warm meal, kind of get off the street and hang out with friends, uh, where they also provide other, you know, social services for these for these kids. Um, I really liked it an awful awful lot. Um, Ulysses is played by a young guy named Luca Kane. He's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, I I <laughs> I can't think of, really think of any other
0: adjectives to describe this movie. I liked it an awful awful lot. Yes, and you're, you, you've you you left out one of the key components of it, that it is also a musical. Oh, that's, oh, duh. Yeah. I should have mentioned that, too. There are several original musical numbers mm-hmm. uh, that take place, and, and that aspect of it actually reminded me of we're, we're, When the World Mine Were the World Mine from a few years back because they're all kind of uh, hyper-real, in some cases, the musical numbers. Uh, very enjoyable, those. Uh, great to see... Uh, the, the two actresses from Pose uh, in this movie. It, it essentially, it's in a lot of ways, Pose, the musical. Uh, and again, it just shows how going from the 80s where Pose is till now, a lot of things really haven't changed in, in the way that these at-risk youth you know have to get through their lives. Uh, you mentioned Luca. I thought his his face and expressions carried... So much of his performance, you could see what he was actually feeling before he even had to speak in some cases. Uh, He's truly remarkable. Uh, The love story that goes on between him and a young man that he meets at Saturday Church was so freaking adorable. Uh, Just loved it. I actually wish the movie had gone on just a little bit further, I kind of wanted just a little more story, but you know, it's better to leave you wanting more than wishing it was just <laughs> over already. So definitely check out Saturday Church. It is currently streaming, uh, and I believe it's part of Prime. So if you're Amazon Prime, you get Saturday Church as part of the Prime package. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on to what we've been reading this past week? Yes, let's talk some books. Uh, I made my first visit to the Marion clan uh, in Lucy Lennox's Made Marion series, reading book one, Borrowing Blue. Uh, I did the audiobook, which is read by, uh, I think, Lucy's favorite narrator, Michael Polly. I feel like he does all of Lucy's books. Uh, this one takes place at a wine country resort and the Marion clan has gathered because one of their own is getting married, one of the daughters. Uh, Blue, who is one of the brothers, is at this resort, and uh, he's a little down in the dumps. Uh, his his ex is also at this wedding and apparently sporting a new husband uh, to be taken around. Uh, and this has him kind of down, but he's kind of rescued by this lovely man named Tristan who sidles up to him at the bar, they strike up a conversation, And uh, they do make uh, that ex a little on the jealous side. Uh, You could tell where this is headed because it is your favorite trope of all. The uh, fake relationship goes into play here. And Blue and Tristan decide that they will be together for the week and uh, give Blue the plus one for the wedding. But what Blue doesn't realize as this uh, starts to unfold is that Tristan actually owns this vineyard that they are staying at. So he's ended up in the relationship with the guy who's also overseeing the wedding. But they go to it, they, they put themselves out there to the family, and the family's like, okay, you've got this guy, great. Jeremy is, of course, as the ex, immediately uh, jealous about it because he was hoping to rekindle what he and Blue had. Uh, but Blue's having none of that over the course of the time. But more importantly, Tristan and Blue really start to come together so well. Lucy has this way of binding her characters together and letting them discover each other, find out everything there is to know about each other, and start to heal each other in ways that neither side really knew they had to go through. Uh, Tristan had been married to a woman for several years who actually comes to stir up some trouble at this wedding. Uh, He'd long ago buried... Uh, Any ideas of being with a man because of some bad stuff that went down for him in college. Uh, Blue helps him through that. Tristan helps Blue with some self-confidence issues and kind of working through some stuff uh, in the aftermath of his relationship with Jeremy. There's homophobic brothers and mothers to deal with on Tristan's side. Uh, So much awesome goes on in this book. Lucy always layers her plots Mm -hmm. with little dark moments throughout Little bits of always some family troubles going on somewhere. Uh, this is everything I've ever loved about Forever Wild books because I read mm-hmm. I, I read the Wild books before I got to the Marion books. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to read Jude's book because I fell in love with the character of Jude, who is the the singer in the Marion clan. So I got to get that one. Um, Yeah, I I, I could just go on and on about everything that I loved about Borrowing Blue, but at the end of the day, Lucy does what she does best, bringing two guys together who who you just know will love each other into eternity because they're so awesome together. Uh, So I can't recommend enough Borrowing Blue if you have not read the Marion series yet, and I'm sure I'll read more because I do need Jude's book. Now, while I was with the wild, with the, with the with the Barians, rather, you hung out with the Wild Clan this week. Uh, yes,
1: purely by happenstance, I also <laughs> happened to read a Lucy Lennox books this week. Uh, I read the fourth book in the Forever Wild series called Hudson's Luck, and this is about Hudson. He is a financial analyst essentially, and he um, at the beginning of the story heads to Ireland, and he is sort of assessing a local brew pub for acquisition by his boss. Uh, Charlie uh, is part of the family that runs the pub and the brewery there in Ireland. Uh, and he's an absolutely gorgeous, feisty redhead. Um, and Hudson uh, immediately notices him. Uh, for reasons that he's not quite sure of at the beginning, uh, he ends up getting drunk that very first night in the pub and kind of making a fool of himself uh, before he realizes the next day that uh, Charlie is a member of this family and uh, Charlie is sort of tasked with showing Hudson around the, the brewery and kind of showing him the ins and the outs of the family business. And over the course of the few days that he's there in Ireland, they get to know one another. And before before Hudson leaves, they end up hooking up. Um, Now, up until this point, Hudson has never really even considered uh, anything with uh, another man. So essentially, this book is the very definition of the gay for you trope. Uh, Which is personally a trope I hate, but uh, of course this being a Lucy Lennox book, (laughs) it uh, ends up working out beautifully. Um, Move fast forward a little bit to the States. Um, Hudson's boss is interested in acquiring this brewery, but um, instead of buying out the entire thing, Hudson uh, convinces his boss... To get a uh, franchise started in the states, mm-hmm. uh, instead of buying the company outright mm-hmm. uh, and leaving the the family with nothing left, um, I should. I'm so sorry. I should have mentioned that the uh, the family business has sort of fallen on some hard times, and they needed an influx of cash, mm-hmm. which is why Hudson was there. Uh, but instead of just buying the whole thing, uh, they're gonna start up this brew pub in the middle of hobie texas kind of the middle of nowhere (laughs) um (laughs) so once that decision is made uh charlie comes to the states uh and he's gonna oversee the the building of the pub and sort of making sure that it is authentic to the family brand Mm -hmm. uh so he stays at the wild family ranch and of course um They strike up their relationship once again and kind of try to get to the heart of what it is that they have together. Um, Hudson is sort of um, not really standoffish, but he's very hesitant at first because um, they are essentially in a business relationship. They're working very closely together to get the brewpub off the ground. And, of course, it's not a fantastic idea to be sleeping with someone you're working with 24-7. <laughs> uh, but they end up doing it anyway. <laughs> um, what I thought was really interesting about this particular book is I felt the... I'm trying to come up with some adjectives that make sense. The, the pace and the story was very relaxed, Because the story takes place over several months, what we end up getting is several very short chapters that are just sort of glimpses, little snapshots into the moments that Charlie and Hudson share. So it's not like uh, uh, there's no real ticking clock element or uh, a whole lot of high drama that... um, sort of featured in the other Forever Wild books. Um, It's very... uh, It's a very slow build. It's actually very sweet, uh, despite the fact that the sex is also, you know, super-duper hot, as (laughs) always, in a Lucy Lennox book. She is really good at that. (laughs) It's a a very sexy book, of course. Um, uh, Eventually, uh, Hudson and Charlie know that... Uh, Charlie's going to have to go back to his family in Ireland, and Hudson is up for a big promotion uh, if he gets this uh, pub and business successfully launched. Um, uh, A family emergency takes Charlie back to his home country uh forcing hudson to board another transatlantic flight which he hates flying uh (laughs) transatlantic flight to uh eventually declare his love um i really like this book an awful lot it's a little i felt the tone was a little bit sweeter than some of the other wild books um that being said uh Jeff and I have recommended each book in this series wholeheartedly, and I recommend uh, Hudson's Lock most definitely.
0: Yeah, and I'll probably come in next week with a little uh, of my own take on that book because now that you've read it, I'm going to have to read it. I was disappointed if people have been following our reviews. Normally, we end up and read the wild books on a road trip and listen to them together. And this time, we just couldn't connect that, although we considered just driving around Sacramento a few times to listen to it. (laughs) But I will pick this up next week because I've been eager to read this one. Now,
1: tis the season, as they say. I also read uh, another book this week, Pumpkin Spice Omega by Susie Hawk. Uh, It was about a year ago that Susie launched her... uh, Highly successful franchise uh, of Omegaverse books. Um, Pumpkin Spice Omega is the first book in her Hollydale Omega's uh, non shifter impreg series. It's about Milo. Uh, He's the nice guy Omega. He runs a candy shop. And about Rafe. He is the nice guy Alpha writer who has recently moved to Hollydale. Now, that description I just used is a bit of a head scratcher. How is it possible to have a nice guy Alpha? Um, as readers of romance most likely know, alphas are usually uh, very, have very strong personalities, are very pig-headed. Uh, there's a recent reason, reason romance readers have come up with the term alpha-hole. Um, they're, they're usual little jerks that need to uh, find love to be happy. In this particular case, Rafe is actually very nice and very charming. Uh, he's is actually set up with Milo uh, essentially on a blind date uh, but they end up hitting it off uh, and things go very well for them um, I just really really like this book an awful lot it's super sweet uh, very funny uh, it's got a virgin omega a sassy best friend who speaks about everyone in the third person <laughs> uh, it's got ghosts and a mystery about a haunted house uh, they have to save Milo's candy business by finding uh, an old recipe card from his grandmother. Um, all sorts of cute, wonderful, fun, sexy stuff happens. Uh, all culminating in, of course, a pregnancy and a super sweet wedding at the very, very end. Um, I really enjoyed Pumpkin Spice Omega. Uh, I don't know why it took me so long to sample Susie Hawk, but I'm glad I finally did. Um, If anyone has been hesitant about uh, impreg or kind of, uh, or maybe if not hesitant, at least curious and haven't had quite, you know, put their toe into the Omegaverse waters, I highly recommend uh, checking out Pumpkin
0: Spice Omega. I think it's a great place to start. Cool. That would be a good gateway drug, perhaps, (laughs) to get you started on that. Uh, Was the recipe for Pumpkin Spice something? That they were looking for? Actually, no. It was for peanut butter
1: bombs, which are these Ooh. cute little uh, tasty candies that are the best
0: seller at Milo's Business. Well, that sounds nice. Mm. Was I don't suppose the recipe was in the book for that.
1: No, Susie, it wasn't.
0: Susie, we need the recipe for that. <laughs> got it. Let us know. Uh, if you want to get any of the books we just talked about, or, or the movies perhaps, the links will be in the show notes. We use affiliate links when we're linking off to Amazon so that we can, uh, help support the podcast with a few pennies that we get from that. So if you use those links, we do appreciate it. Now you can also help support the big gay fiction podcast with a monthly pledge through
1: Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Your pledge can help pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. And for fans who pledge at our higher levels, you'll also have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of some of our upcoming guests. We got some really good ones. Uh, also all patrons have the option to have a personalized thank you sent directly to them and as always any month that we have pledges that cover our monthly production costs will produce a bonus show especially for our patrons um we just did the August bonus show yeah, not a, too long ago. Just a couple weeks ago, and the September one will be
0: coming up in about another couple weeks since we're right here at the beginning of the month.
1: Now, if you'd like more information, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash big fiction podcast. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash big podcast.
2: Wanna hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post news about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash
0: Podcast and see what we get up to next. So when I slotted this particular interview, I didn't realize exactly how timely it was. Uh, Alexander C. Eberhardt's debut novel, There Goes Sunday School, actually opens right as summer is ending and school is going back. So, yeah, it was good timing to have him (laughs) on the show to talk about this. Uh, I reviewed the book a a few episodes ago. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, Always great to find a new YA author. And uh, here we could find out everything about this first book and what he's still got to come. I'm excited today to welcome Alexander C. Eberhardt to the podcast. Alex has always had a passion for writing, even from a young age. He lives on the cusp of Atlanta, spending his days writing stories with queer characters and drinking an unfathomable amount of coffee. When he is a crafting quality queer fiction, you can find him mostly curled up alongside his boyfriend, watching a movie, or another equally lazy task. Alex's debut novel, There Goes Sunday School, came out in June. Welcome, Alex.
3: Hi, everyone.
0: So good to have you here. I, a couple episodes back, I reviewed There Goes Sunday School, and I just absolutely adored it, not only for its kind of fresh take on you know, going to a religious school, as as Queer kids, but also some of the twists and turns you took readers on. So, for the, tell us what your like take on what "There Goes Sunday School" is about, without yeah. hitting any spoilers.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. So, "There Goes Sunday School" is the story of sixteen-year-old closeted kid named Michael Hernandez. Um, he attends a uh, Christian high school um, just outside of Atlanta. Um, It's actually based on uh, the north side, um, which is known to be um, a more affluent area, but definitely has those conservative roots. Um, So it is about... Um, Michael, who is so entrenched in the Christian lifestyle, his family goes to church, he, he goes to that Christian uh, conservative school. And um, it really was based off of the thought of what would happen if a boy fell in love with the pastor's son was kind of the spark that started this, um, this whole thing. Uh, but anyway, so it's about... Um, so Michael uh, is an artist and, and he has all these internalized feelings of, of conflict between his religion and his sexuality. Um, and so kind of how he processes that. So um, Michael uh, also likes to um, share his emotions and feelings and kind of pour them into his art. So there are a few of his drawings that are a tad on the risque side. And um, it's just what happens when one day his sketchbook goes missing in the middle of Sunday school and um, it is actually um, found by the, uh, a pastor's son and the conflict that that draws in as he finds out that uh, the pastor's son, Chris, is also gay and uh, kind of how they start to process through those feelings themselves.
0: You mentioned the, the seed of what, you know, what if Mike was in love with the preacher's kid as some of the inspiration what else all went into this as you were crafting out what this story would be?
3: Yeah. So, like I said, it started, I was sitting at my kitchen table and I had actually just uh, completed um, a manuscript and I was thinking of, of a new idea of what to get started on next. And it all just kind of started with this idea of, of oh man, like as as a teenager, when I was growing up in, in church, I was like, man, what would happen if this closeted kid, um, started having feelings for someone that he thought was inaccessible or like the, the worst, (laughs) the absolute worst outcome or the worst, um, the worst possibility. Um, and it kind of just kind of spitballed from there. And I started thinking, I was like, okay, so how would, how would that play out? And, um, what would they be forced to deal with when, you know, they're surrounded by all of this, um, conservative rhetoric and, and just, uh, you know, dealing with those emotions. So it started with that idea and I kind of just kind of kept rolling it from there. And the story honestly just organically grew by itself.
0: Which is very cool when they can just kind of spring up like that. Yeah. Are you mostly a plotter or a, a pantser when it comes to writing?
3: Yeah. Um, I actually, I never heard that term pantser until I listened to to an episode a couple of weeks back. And I was like, Oh man, that is the, the, the perfect way to describe it. Um, I would, I would consider, um, I am definitely more of a pantser. Um, I usually start my projects with a general arc of the story. I know where I want to go, Um, but essentially the plot writes itself. I mean, I I sit down to my computer, I think, okay, I know where I want to end up. Now let's see how I get there.
0: (laughs) That's so cool. And that kind of, we were talking before we hit the record button on some of the amazing twists and turns you take in this book. Uh, I love a book, obviously, that I can't figure out where it's going, but there were places in here that you just was like, whoa, he just did that. Uh, all of those organic, or did they kind of yeah, get plotted uh, along the way somewhere? <laughs>
3: So I knew there were a couple of highlights I wanted to hit. I wanted to have that um, big conflict between Mike and Chris. Um, I knew I wanted his art to be um, a pivotal, to have a pivotal role in the storyline. And I knew that I wanted to um, ultimately tell a story of, of hope to be found kind of in the middle of all of this um, doubt and guilt that's, that, that's, conflicting Mike, um, as we go throughout the story. Um, so I'd say most of it, most of it came organically. Like I said, I knew where I wanted to go. Um, so I just said, you know, how would a 16 year old high school kid get there?
0: And I think you really, especially for kids in the South and Atlanta is kind of like, you know, a unicorn of the South because (laughs) it it, it can certainly lean more purple than red in some cases, but especially for religious kids and others who feel very closeted, I think you captured Mike's angst and uptightness to an amazing degree. Did did that show up in your first drafts, or did that just get manipulated over time to get it there?
3: I think so throughout the book, Mike has these conversations in his head um, and they're actually uh, they're they're based a lot on, on my thought process growing up. Um, I constantly had this internal monologue um, that you could say is kind of like a conversation with God. That's how it's portrayed in the book. Um, Mike is constantly uh, talking to God in, 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 a, in a kind of funny way, in a kind of irreverent way, honestly. But that's definitely something that I did growing up as well. Um but no, I think that that was really uh, that really added a lot of depth into how you how you see Mike process exactly what's going on around him. Um, so he uses that conversation to help him work through um, those feelings that he's having when he's you know surrounded by all these people that are saying you know gay is not okay and, and, and there's something wrong with you. Um, he's just constantly asking those same questions that that you know I grew up asking.
0: How autobiographical might
3: this be? <laughs> That's really funny. I um I actually wrote my first uh my first blog post that went up on my author website and I've had a, a a lot of people, mostly people that I know, um, that have asked me that have read the book, they're like, Man, is this like is this like your story? Is this how it was growing up for you? And I was like, My life is not that entertaining, guys, I promise. <laughs> but um but no more more so his thought process was was really pulled from a lot of my own experience um i thankfully i i did grow up in a in a church that was mostly conservative but i came from a family that is just so open and so accepting um and even though i i came out later in life i came out in my early 20s um i felt like i felt like that was mostly um my choice than it was from kind of like a, a repressive place um but yeah, it was just, so uh, absolutely none of it is true. <laughs> none of that really happened to me. Um my pastor's son was kind of a douchebag, honestly. So no, I would never have fallen for him. But um but but no, it was uh it, it was just so almost cathartic in writing it out and and developing the story and realizing that, you know, I, I wish that there would have been a book like this when I was that age that I could see that there are more possibilities than I thought were possible um, growing up in that setting.
0: From a POV perspective, I found myself wanting to know what Chris was thinking as well. (laughs) Was it a consideration to have it go back and forth for a while or was this always going to be Mike's book?
3: I, I started off with the intention of it really being um, a singular POV. Um, I have a couple of projects that do swap back and forth between chapters, between multiple perspectives, but I think that I really wanted to show um, just a, a, a single narrative growth throughout the whole thing and, and how he comes to terms with who he is. Um, I, I hope that you get to see glimpses of how Chris um, is dealing with his, his, his own process because when we come into it, Chris is actually so much further along than Mike is when it comes to acceptance of himself, um, which I think is kind of a, another unique take on the story because he is the one that's more uh, in-depth into the religious life. I mean, his father is the pastor; he lives it day in and day out. Um, but no, I, th- I think it always started as a as a singular. Throughout all of my drafts, it was it was always just from Mike's perspective. Um, and though a lot of Chris's personality kind of changes over the um, the different versions I created of the story, um, that one thing kind of stayed the same.
0: Mm-hmm. And Chris certainly comes through. And I would agree that as they, you know, finally start talking to each other you can see that chris is further down that path uh and i like that they certainly help each other it's not a one-sided help uh, <laughs> in sorting things
3: out definitely yeah it just, it's so helpful to have um, i mean i had that friend growing up that best friend that i was able to confide pretty much everything i was thinking um and they were pivotal in, in in my journey of you know accepting who I am and, and coming to terms with um with my sexuality, but um but no it's 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 a constant I mean it's a back and forth game I mean you ask the question and, and they have the answers and they ask they ask their questions and it, sometimes you just need another perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Was this actually? I know it wasn't planned as your first book? Because you'd mentioned earlier on that you had finished something else and then started with this idea. How did this then become the first book?
3: Sure. So um, I this was actually my third completed manuscript. Um, I started off writing uh, magical realism, actually. Uh, I was not very good at it, to be completely honest. <laughs> Um, but that was, that's, that's kind of been my, my evolutionary journey. So I started with a magical realism book. Um, from that, I went on to write a romantic comedy based in a coffee shop. Um, and then my third one, um, I was just, you know what, let's just, let's throw caution to the wind. I think I would finally given myself permission to, to write the book that I'd always wanted to write. Um, my previous projects had been a little tame and a little, um, subdued i guess you could say um and even though i would queried those out to a couple of different people um the feedback i was getting it just wasn't that it just wasn't really in the market right now so it would just the market wasn't looking for those types of stories so i um <laughs> actually got done reading uh, simon versus the homo sapien agenda we were talking about becky abertalli earlier and I, I put that book down and i was like man I want to write a book just like, I want, to write, I want to write a book like this. I want to write a book that's unapologetic in how it explores um, what young people go through, especially in the South. And so um, Simon is based in Atlanta as well, um, or just outside of Atlanta. And that's kind of just my thought process of the whole thing. It's like this, This I feel like is going to be so much more of a marketable book. This is going to be one that's really going to connect with a lot of people.
0: hmm and, and you talk about Atlanta, of course, Becky's based in Atlanta herself. Yes. Uh, Running with Lions author Julian Winters is also, you know, in the Atlanta area. And now you're in the Atlanta area. What is it about Atlanta that like has this convergence of YA authors going on?
3: I, I don't know. Well, I, I'm thinking I have to blame it all on the, the influx of, of art that's come to Atlanta. Atlanta has always been... Um, a hub for, for artists. We have so much great local theater and playwrights. Um, but now that the movie industry has moved here, um, so much filming goes on around here. I think it's just really kind of driven the artists out of the woodwork. Um, they're able to come forward and and people take Atlanta, I guess, more seriously now um, when they think about you know what it has to offer to the world. So um, not only can you shoot a Marvel movie in Atlanta, but you can also get great YA fiction.
0: And not just YA fiction, but YA LGBTQ fiction.
3: Yes, <laughs> finally, it's coming.
0: <laughs> Going back to the book, what was there unexpected things that kind of cropped up as you went from that first draft process all the way through production as as your first time out with this?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, querying this book was so so much of an emotional roller coaster for me. I think I I was on some submission for this book i was querying this book for about a year so i finished it in late in the summer of 2016 and i started sending it out i had a um i had what i felt was a a great query letter um and it definitely generated a lot more responses than my previous projects had Um, i ended up sending it out to well over i think it was i think it was about 102 editors and agents sending it out um and, and I received great feedback. Um Patricia Nelson um from from Lyson um agency over in uh, I think she's out of San Francisco. Um she was she was great in the whole process. Um I actually had submitted the first version of this manuscript to her and she loved it and she said this this has such a strong voice but i really feel like you need to work on you know she, she actually asked me to revise it and resend it to her and so i took her notes down and i i rewrote it in about two months time i ended up just rewriting the entire last half of the book um and it turned it into such such a stronger concept and such a stronger um story in my opinion um but yeah so i mean they were great i had great feedback from it and uh but honestly, that whole <laughs> the whole querying process was just I was a nervous wreck the whole time. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I I checked my phone way more often than I should, and I was just constantly waking up and looking at my email. And at work, I'd pull out my phone to look at my email and and just waiting for that um, that one yes to come through that to come through.
0: Well, I'm glad <laughs> it did to finally get this book into people's hands for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, what got you started with writing?
3: Yeah, so I, I've always, I've always had, I've always had a love for writing. Um, it actually, uh, the first thing I ever remember, when I, as far as writing a story goes, was actually back in fourth grade. Um, I was, you know, yeah, a quick side note about me: I was actually uh, homeschooled my entire life. So kindergarten through graduation, I was homeschooled. So that explains some of my weird idiosyncrasies. I promise. Um, <laughs> But I remember there was this one assignment um, that I got from my parents and it was writing a short story. And I think it was around fourth grade. And I wrote this story um, about an air freshener and his name was Stan the air freshener. And not only was he this creepy, sentient air freshener, but he was also a detective and it was his job to locate and exterminate bad smells. And so that was actually the, my first kind of diving um into, into, into creating stories. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So from those short stories I wrote in elementary school, um, it became message board role-playing with my friends in middle school. So I had a lot of creative friends that also loved to write. So we would write stories back and forth over message boards. And, um, and then that became, uh, novel writing so I started writing by myself and i actually uh self published a novel um as my senior project in high school, and my dad edited it and formatted it and uh put it out into the world and Lord, looking back, I wish I never had because that was such a cringy story but no a of of writing was there from a from a young age for me and um I think it really just you know stemmed back from how much I read as a kid. I was just constantly reading from the Chronicles of Narnia growing up, um, moving into uh, DJ McHale's Pendragon series, um, and then eventually into some of the more modern YAs as I got older. Um, It's just really played this really important part of my life and and how I express myself creatively.
0: I love that you remember what you wrote in fourth grade.
3: That one's hard to forget. I I swear I need to I need to see if my parents still have a copy. I think I actually got that story like hand bound, and <laughs> and turned it in like uh, like I was you know writing my thesis as standing fresh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a little bit about what you tend to read. Uh, who else are out there like the books you like and kind of your author inspirations?
3: Uh, oh gosh, I I devour just about every LGBT young adult book around right now um i am obsessed with uh sean david hutchinson um his books we are the ants uh the five stages of andrew bradley i think is what it is Um, i just got done um reading his most recent elena mendoza um uh he just he blends queer fiction in with uh Certain subtle sci-fi elements um, that usually stem back to um, I'm not to say mental disorders, but kind of the, the headspace that you are in as a teenager. Um, and it's just so creative and so well written. I I just eat up pretty much everything that he writes.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I've read I've read one of his. I think I've read ants. Yeah, that's that's quite something. It's a little outside yeah. my usual genre space, but. Yeah. It's certainly there.
3: It's, um, just, it's just so interesting. Like when I picked up that book, it was actually referred to me by a friend that was the first one I read of his. And I was just like, this was not what I expected, like at all, like this, this, this just threw me for a loop and I loved every minute of it.
0: Exactly, it, it was a nice, com- you know, cause sometimes if you don't, if it's not what you expect, you're like, mm, not yeah. what I wanted. But that one just like, <laughs> yeah, it's the book yeah. I didn't know I needed.
3: Exactly. <laughs>
0: So what's coming up next for you now that uh, "There Go Sunday School" is out in the world?
3: Yes, so um, so "There Go Sunday School" of course is, is a standalone. Um, I have another standalone um, novel that's signed with Seven Sisters. Um, that's called that's tentatively called. I don't think it's going to change at this point, um, but it's called Lock and West, and that's actually the the names of the two main characters. Um, that one is a dual POV story, um, and that one kind of is an exploration. It it revolves around two um, 16-year-olds based in Atlanta. Again, I'm probably going to keep doing that because I love my city. Um, But it's kind of, it it explores uh, a couple of darker themes than There Go Sunday School is. Um, Even though there's a lot of heavy situations in There Go Sunday School, I think there's a kind of an air of levity throughout the whole thing. Um, Hopefully it it kept you laughing as you went through, and that's what (laughs) kept you turning the pages. Um, But this one dives a little bit more into um, mental health. Um, It looks at disgusting school lunches and just exactly what goes on backstage during a high school production of Romeo and Juliet. So... um, (laughs) stuff to look forward to there. Um, that one is in the editing process right now. Uh, we're looking at kind of a late 2018 release, so it won't be too much longer before that one hits shelves as well. Oh, awesome. Something
0: more to look forward to just this year. Yes. <laughs> I like it when they just keep rolling right out. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to to. <laughs> so how can people keep up with you online to find out about that next book and what comes after?
3: Absolutely. You can find me on all the the main things. So I got um, Facebook. You can find me, you can like my uh, author page there. I'm um, on Twitter, uh, Instagram. And uh, I also have my author website that's linked. So you can find all my social media from there. And that is Alexander C. Um, and yeah, that's the best way to keep up with me.
0: Fantastic. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on and talking about their go Sunday school with us. And uh, we'll have to have you back on the show when the next book comes out. Yeah.
3: I would be delighted.
1: Thank you to Alex for coming on the show and giving us a little sneak peek into what's coming up next from this fantastic debut author. Yes. Can't wait for that
0: next book that he says will be out by the end of the year.
1: All right. I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Coming up next week in episode 153, we have Rosalind Abel, Mildred Abbott, and a very special guest will be here as well.
0: Yeah, this was a super fun interview to do, and I look forward to everybody getting getting in on the action of that. Yeah, I can't wait. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey
1: will always be sweeter when you have a book. So, until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.